So we are in 1 Kings 22. 1 Kings 22. And we are in verse 30. Actually, verse 29. 1 Kings 22, verse 29. So let's pray. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for this time this evening where we can open up the word of God. And, Lord, midweek, which we need uh, just the word of God midweek, Lord. And, and I pray, Father, you would just do a good work in our hearts, Lord, this evening. Father, we do need you. We need you, Lord. We need your grace. We need all of you. I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would... Guide us by your spirit. Open up the eyes of our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last week, we were in chapter 21 and 22, where Ahab, in chapter 21, looks at a field next to his palace and it was a fertile field and it was um, a field that was a vineyard and he wanted it um, as his own and so he asks Naboth, the owner, can I have your field? I will pay you money for it. And he says, no. And the reason was we discussed last week, it was against the law of Moses. If you weren't here, you may want to listen to that message, with which Caillou very graciously put online for us. And he goes home, Ahab goes home, and starts to sulk. His wife Jezebel says, why are you sulking? Well, I can't get that field that's next to the palace, and I really want a vegetable garden. And so she says, I will take care of it. She frames him. She has him framed and killed, and Elijah shows up and says that because you did this, um, you... I will bring calamity on you, 1 Kings 21, 21. And I will take away your posterity, meaning uh, your descendants, they're going to be cut off. And, and you yourself will be uh, destroyed. And the dogs will lick up uh, your, uh, the, the blood, uh, lick up your blood. I believe that was part of the yeah, in verse 19, it says, In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick your blood. And so, after that time, he, he, he seems to repent, but in the next chapter, he goes back to his old ways. Chapter 22, and Jehoshaphat shows up from the south. Jehoshaphat, an outstanding king, a good king. 
and, but he had a, a weakness, as we all do, every, every, no one's perfect, and um, his weakness really was making alliances with a wicked man. It was interesting that uh, he had at least, Jehoshaphat had at least three warning signs about Ahab. So Je- Jehoshaphat agreed to go um, with Ahab to retake the territory that was indeed Israel's. It was a very good argument that Ahab lured him up to the north with um, to, to help him. Look, there's the Syrians own the possession of the Lord uh, uh, east of the, of the Jordan. And so uh, Jehoshaphat uh, didn't listen to the spirit. He listened to the logic of the argument. And it's so important that you take everything to prayer. Just because something sounds reasonable and logical doesn't mean it's of the Lord because if you had listened to the Lord, the Lord would have said, do not make this unholy alliance with this exceedingly wicked king married to an exceedingly wicked woman. But... We see here in verse 29, it says, The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead, meaning they, um, they, they went out to war. And it says in verse 30, it says, The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes, meaning you're going to go into battle looking like a king. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now, by this time, Jehoshaphat has three major flags. You know, before we, uh, b- before we create a big, ugly, fat mess in our life, the Lord is faithful to give us warning signs. Jehoshaphat had at least three. We talked about two of them last week. When, uh, when they were preparing for battle, uh, they, um, when they were pr- uh, preparing to battle, uh, Jehoshaphat asked if, uh, they, uh, if they could inquire of a prophet. And so uh, Ahab gathers 400 uh, prophets, but they're all false prophets. And then after Jehoshaphat politely listens to everything those prophets had to say, which was, yes, go to war, go to war, go to war. Retake the land that is Israel's anyway, and that Syria has it. Jehoshaphat says, is there not, but, but okay, we've listened to these guys, but is there not a prophet of Yahweh, verse uh, 7 of chapter 22. And Ahab famously says, there's one, but I hate him. Now that is, that, that, right there, that is not, uh, that's a red flag from the Lord. And so, number two, his, his second red flag was when Micah shows up, this prophet called Micah, the one that was left or still living and known about, uh, was left. The rest of them are in hiding because his Ahab's wife Jezebel had been killing um, many of them. He prophesies disaster. So that's red flag number two. Um, he 
says in the prophet Micah says in verse 17 to, to, to both Ahab and Jehoshaphat, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. In other words, you guys are going to lose this battle. Red flag number two. Red flag number three, Ahab comes to him in verse 30. Hey, I have this idea. <laughs> I'm going to disguise myself, but you go in dressed as a king in battle. Like, hello? <laughs> Wait a second. Um, this is another red flag. This, who is this guy who wants me to make myself openly visible before the enemy and thus a target, like gigantic bullseye on me, uh, and, and he wants to go in disguised. Uh, and, and I do think um, that the battle is going to be a complete disaster, and Jehoshaphat's going to be, uh, as we talked about a couple Sundays ago, he's going to be part of the big, fat, ugly mess. Um, that, that's created. God's going to save them from it. But there is a, an important principle here that when you have a... Uh, you, you, sometimes you, you find yourself walking in a particular direction and then you, you, you sort of have committed to a particular direction and then the Lord gives a red flag, and, and you're like, oh, you start having, you have like a pace, and like, oh, I don't know that I should be doing this, but, but I, I, I really, I, I committed, I, I said I'm supposed to do that. No, don't do that, just turn around. If it's sin, if you can identify sin, if you can identify something that's clearly wicked and evil, you need to, you need to turn around right there. And then when there's a, when there's a second one, even more. It's not too late to just turn around and do the right thing. And then, but here there's even a third time. And, and, and the principle is repentance. The best term that I've ever used for repentance is just a U-turn. That's what it is. It's like, okay, I know I'm going to make a complete fool out of myself because we're, we're whatever, uh, halfway into this thing and turning around now is going to bring me great shame but I know this is not what the Lord wants me to do you got to turn around at that time uh, and but Jehoshaphat we saw he has a his flaw is that he, he's he's friendly and loving to a fault Philippians chapter 1 verse Nine says, I pray that your love abounds more and more in knowledge and discernment. He, he's got this huge heart, Jehoshaphat does. He's got this huge heart filled with love, but he doesn't have a lot of discernment. And uh, that's, that's going to be a problem. And so, uh, so Jehoshaphat indeed goes into battle dressed like a king, Ahab disguises himself, verse 31, now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, saying, fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. In other words, don't kill anyone, just go after the king. We take out the king, that's all we have to do. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, surely it is the king of Israel. So Remember, Jehoshaphat's the king of Judah, Jerusalem in the south. 
Uh, technically, yes, that's part of Israel. But Israel, in the book of First Kings and Second Kings, whenever you, when you see the, the term Israel, it's referring to the northern kingdom. Ten tribes in the north never had a wicked king, rather never had a good king. All the kings are wicked. And, and they say, hey, look, it's the king of Israel. So they wrongly identify Jehoshaphat here um, as the king of Israel. Therefore, they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. My guess is that he cried out, God help me! Or Jehovah help me. And indeed, Jehovah did. And it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel that they turned back from pursuing him. I strongly recommend that prayer, by the way. I think some of you have heard this story if you've been around long enough. Most of you haven't, but right after Steffi and I were married, we flew down to Venezuela, and we hopped into a car, and my cousin took us along the coast in the middle of the night. We're talking like 2 and 3 in the morning. And I'm, yeah, I'm in the back seat with um, my young wife and, um, and, my, and my cousin uh, Mima, and uh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's like this, you know, in, in, in Venezuela and most places in Latin America, it, it, you know, it's not like the United States where there's signs and safety things on the road. All of a sudden, there's this, this the bl road was blocked and it went off to the right and my cousin slammed on the brakes. The car started spinning and we, we were going about 55 miles an hour and it's, it, 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 the car started at a high speed going backwards and it flipped, it, it, the car went over the median into oncoming tra traffic, even though it was two o'clock in the morning, there was traffic. And my wife just cried out, Jesus, save us. And the next thing we knew, we were on the other side of the road and it was a very strange experience. Some car, the, a car that had been coming by us, stopped it had a completely shattered window even though completely like beads of little glass mound of beads of little glass on the ground no window and even though we hadn't touched it and um, immediately we got out of the car and someone ran out up to us and said hey you got to get out of here this is a very dangerous section I didn't have the least bit of fear because if the Lord saved us from what just happened uh, I mean I thought it was it, we were I thought we were dead. I mean, at a high speed going over a median backwards. Um, and so, great prayer. Lord, help me. I highly recommend it to you. And so that's what he, he screams out. And it says that the, um, they turned back from pursuing him. Verse 34. Now, a certain man drew a bow at random. So one of the enemies, a Syrian, draws a bow, drew a bow at random. That's a good, good couple words to underline there. And struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and make me out of, take me out of battle for I am wounded. He's about to die actually. And, and the reason I, I recommend just circling that, those two words at random, you cannot fight God. You can't fight God. 
And, you know, he disguised himself and just some random, the guy's not even, he's just like shooting up in the air. Uh, and it, it gets in between his armor and it mortally wounds him. And it says in verse 35, the battle increased that day and the king was propped up in his chariot. So he didn't, he was mortally wounded, but he didn't want to act like he was about to die because his soldiers would see him and they'd give up and and they'd leave. And so he was propped up in his uh, chariot, middle of verse 35, facing the Syrians and died at evening. The blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then as the sun was going down, a shout went through the army saying, every man to his city and every man to his own country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed. So it, the, the idea there, why, why does it say why the, while the harlots bathed? Um, it's almost like saying this is like a normal thing. P- people, when a, when a wicked king um, dies, no one really mourns. And so there's like, the, the people are just going out there, going a, among their normal business, uh, prostitution, prominent in the in the north this is a wicked kingdom and so people just carrying out their their normal business while they're while um, the dogs are are licking up the blood uh, from you know from this this mortal wound then as the um, that verse 39 now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did the ivory house which he built, so he was a man that was really given over to excess. He built an ivory house. Now, some people think that this means he had lots of ivory furniture. It could be that some of his walls were paneled with ivory, um, but it just goes to the fact of just the excess. He had an ivory house which he built, the cities that he built, are they not uh, written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers, then Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. I think we like to go a little deeper on, on, on Tuesday night, and you, you have to wonder, you know, why would it say he rested with his fathers? Why did he, why does it say that? You, ever, you know, you see oftentimes this person, you know, rest in peace, rest in peace, rest in peace, when as Christians we know that many of the people that are dying are not resting in peace. And um, so this is, this is, uh, now it's true, a couple things, a couple comments on that. Number one, uh, it is true that the Old Testament, they do not have the same uh, revelation, and that they have, they don't have the same revelation as as we do uh, of what happened 
after someone dies. In Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, Jesus Christ and the gospel bring immortality to light, bring, bring truth, truth to light. And one of those things was just what happened to people after they die. Um, we, know, we know that really the Old Testament, Old Testament people who died, Jesus actually tells us in the, um, the story about Lazarus and the rich man that um, they go to sort of a waiting place. Prior to Christ, they go to a waiting place where uh, the, 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 the righteous go to what was called Abraham's bosom, which was um, a place which was for the righteous, the people who had followed the promises of God. But the wicked um, go to another place where... Uh, there is tremendous suffering. If you remember that parable, uh, the rich man asks, look, uh, is there any way that poor man Lazarus, who used to be this poor man at my gate, can come and just give me just a little, little thing to drink? And Abraham says, no, there's a chasm, there's a, a wall between you and he that um, cannot be passed. It's very interesting to me that in that, in that time, that they could actually see each other. Um, things really, uh, really uh, become different after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. We see at the end of Matthew, you have people that I believe are in Abraham's bosom um, rising. And at that time, um, it's no longer Abraham's bosom. It's Jesus said to the thief, tonight, today, rather, you will see me in paradise. But uh, so all that just to say there wasn't the same kind of revelation with Old Testament in the Old Testament uh, in terms of what happened to the dead. I personally think that when it says not only Ahab, but many, many other wicked men and women, um, mostly wicked men, it says when, they, when it refers to they rested with their fathers, it just means that their bodies are lying in a graveyard. And it's not referring to uh, that they're at peace in any way because we know from what Jesus taught, Ahab was not going to be at peace. The, the, the second he died, uh, he was in some pain. Um, so for, for what it's worth, uh, uh, when, that, when it refers to um, one of these folks resting with their father who we knew to be a wicked person, I, I do believe it's not that the Holy Spirit, remember the Holy Spirit's writing this, um, doesn't know um, about uh, what the, the real story was. Um, and because the Holy Spirit know, knew everything, but it's more... For whatever reason, God was not choosing not to give as much revelation what happens in the afterlife in the Old Testament. Again, uh, those things are brought to light, um, it says in Timothy, with the gospel. So he rested in the sense he was in the same graveyard with his fathers or the same tomb. Verse 41, Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Israel in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. He was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azuba, and the daughter of Shili. 
And he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't it interesting? My son Sam actually gave a Sunday morning sermon. When, when your life is sized up in the Bible, when lives are sized up in the Bible, it, it does say things like this, that he didn't turn aside from doing what was right, uh, even though he did. And it just goes to show you that the grace of God and we see this in the New Testament. Abraham, it says that he didn't waver in faith. Wait a second, he did waver in faith. But, but, but um, when, when someone goes to be with the Lord, it's like that righteousness of Christ, the grace of God almost like covers up all the problems. And what's left is a testimony described like this, um, that he, uh, he did not turn aside uh, from them. Um, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the uh, people offered sacrifices and burnt, uh, burned incense on the high places. We've talked about the high places before. They were not there was not supposed to be many, many different places to worship the Lord. There was one place, that was the temple. And that was a way of protecting the community at that time, the, the children of Israel at that time, because people just dispersed and they, uh, when they dispersed and they just started doing sacrifice and rites on a, a, any hill, they would just drift into doing whatever superstition that they wanted to do, kind of like I lived in a Catholic country for many years, and there'd just be these little saints on the side of the road, and people would worship these saints, and uh, just doing their own little ritual, and, and, and it really it was, uh, was idolatry. And uh, the same thing with the high places, it was, it was um, uh, prohibited. Uh, we will see a lot more about Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles. When he came back from this battle uh, with, with Ahab, the battle he never should have answered because there was not one, there was not two, but there was three red flags. Go home, Jehoshaphat, do a U-turn. He didn't obey. He went into battle, but God covered him anyways. He often does when we make a big, fat, ugly mess of our lives. Uh, in his grace, he rescues us from it. And, uh, but when he goes home, oh man, uh, a prophet gets in his face and, and, and really uh, gives him, a, gives him a, a prophecy that, look, there's going to be serious consequences for going up and uh, aligning yourself with this wicked man Ahab. The, the thing that I just love about Jehoshaphat, instead of sulking, he goes out and stirs up a revival. He says, look... Um, obviously, I messed up really bad. I'm not going to go and just live a life of wickedness. Um, now that uh, apparently this, this prophecy is made against me, I'm going to go out and live for the Lord as much as I can. And that's, that's one of the reasons that make him such a wonderful king. But we'll read about, more about him in Second Chronicles. Verse 45, now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, the might that he showed and how he made war, are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So that's a reference to the books of Chronicles, which will, we will be in after we finish 2 Kings. And the, rest of the, and the rest of the perverted persons who remained in the days of his father, he banished from the land. And so these were sort of religious. They were believed to be, um, the, the, it's the Hebrew word kadesh, um, 
Traditionally, Bible scholars believe that uh, one who practices sodomy and prostitution and religious rituals, they were banished from the land. They were still a holdover after many of these years from their holdover from the, uh, the, the worship of, of the people who had been displaced from the land when the children of Israel came in. There's still these, uh, there's still these religious practices um, going on. But he came in, he banished them from the land, verse 47. Verse 47. There was no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. And verse 48 said, Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir with for gold, but they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked at Ezion Geber. That's an interesting verse to me, verse 48. It just, even men of God will, you know, hey, I really like this business venture. You know, uh, the, the proverb says, be careful about chasing after fantasies it'll bring you to ruin and he's and and again he had this weakness some people apparently got uh, got with him hey let's make these ships and 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 let's go to Ophir for gold he says okay let's do that that never got got um got off the ground or got off the water or, or they got in the water but didn't get very far it says the ships were wrecked at easy and geber and and you know sometimes even uh, just in our lives, we, we'll just we'll do something, and we'll get goofy, and and we'll we'll be tempted into some venture that's just not from the Lord. Verse forty nine. Then Ahaziah the son of Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, "Let my servants go with your servants in ships," but Jehoshaphat would not. By that time, he um, had learned at least partially, that he needs to be very wary of doing anything with um, Ahab's descendants. Uh, there will be some issues. We'll see that in Second Chronicles. Verse 50, And Jehoshaphat rested, same word, with his father, and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab... Became so. This is the son of Ahab and who? Someone shut it out. Jezebel. That's right. Ahab. Verse fifty-one. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the seventeenth year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. So very short reign, two years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now this is interesting. Look at this, and walked. One, in the way of his father. Two, in the way of his mother. Three, in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. Now, this is unusual. It's the only time in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, in these long lists of kings, where you, you usually, with an evil king, it says he walked in the ways, usually it'll say of Jeroboam or some other evil person. But this one also mentions mom. Not only mentions dad, it mentions mom. And, and when you see something like this, it's, it's good to just pause and reflect, like, okay, mentions mom here. Like, and, and this is not mentioned anywhere else. Mom was not mentioned in the same way. And the thing that I believe the Lord is doing here by including this is that there was something about Jezebel that was so different than really 
all, you know, these evil kings up in the north. And that is the evil kings in the north, like Jeroboam, the first king of the north, he didn't want to eliminate the worship of Jehovah. He just wanted to twist it around, you know, kind of like Mormonism. You know, Mormonism takes a lot of things from Christianity, but then it adds other things which are, I, I, I don't, I don't. I want to be reverent, but just really nutty and crazy. Uh, um, but Jezebel was different. She wanted to eliminate completely the worship of Jehovah. Remember, she was the daughter of a priestess of of Asherah and Baal, and she just wanted to completely eliminate it. And so it, it, it's like uh, the writer goes out of his way to mention here that this new king not only walked in the way of his father, Ahab, who was wicked dude, he walked in the way of his mother. And he also walked in the way of Jeroboam. Jeroboam was that first king who, again, that sin of Jeroboam was, it wasn't eliminating the worship of Yahweh, but it was taking the worship of Yahweh and adding all kinds of other strange things like putting up two golden calves and say, hey, that's Jehovah, that's Yahweh. Go, go bow, bow down to Yahweh. Verse 53, and he served Baal and worshiped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. Now, very strange break here in 2 Kings. It really is a continuous narrative. There shouldn't be really this 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 break it's it, it should just be verse 50 second kings 1 verse 1 should be first kings uh 22 verse 54 so let's just continue reading moab rebelled against israel after the death of ahab so moab was the place it was like modern day jordan it was east of the jordan river and um, Moab, uh, that's where it, it, it was. And apparently Ahab had, uh, in his, in his, during his reign, had taken over Moab. And the king of Moab became a vassal king, meaning each year that, that, that king needed to uh, send a certain amount of money every year. And this is very typical of how these empires work, these ancient empires work. They would just install a king to reign over the land. He can be called king of that country, but he needs to be sending a lot of money every year. And it says here, as soon as Ahab, as soon as dad dies, it's a point of vulnerability in the life of the nation, so Moab rebels. And this this. Ahab's son, Ahab and Jezebel's son, verse 2, uh, it named Ahaziah, fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria. So it's very hot in that area of the country. So remember, lattices is, is some of you know what lattices is, that kind of walls or with, with holes in them and breezes could come through. And he's leaning up against this thing and he... He falls, and it says he was injured. And so this guy, Ahaziah, who had walked in the ways, verse 52 of chapter 22, of Ahab, Jezebel, and Jeroboam, 
it says he sent a messenger and said to them, he sends messengers and says and said to them, verse 2, go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. So it's kind of like someone going to a fortune teller, except there's more evil associated. Now, Beelzebub, you may remember from Matthew 22, verse 27, the, the Pharisees and other religious leaders accused Jesus of casting demons out in the name of Beelzebub, which by the time of the New Testament was another term for the devil. So definitely a demonic pagan god, Beelzebub, which means god of the flies. He says, go inquire of those priests of Beelzebub whether or not I'm going to recover from this injury. Verse three, verse 3. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there's no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. So he interrupts these messengers that are going down to Ekron, to, uh, which I think is one of the cities around the Philistines. So going into the area of the Philistines, there's this pagan false god there. Remember, Paul says there's always a demon behind these false gods. The gods may not exist. They definitely don't exist, but there's a demon behind them. And he interrupts the messengers before they can go inquire of those, uh, of those gods in Ekron. And he says, you're going to die. And so, verse 5, the messengers returned to Ahaziah, the king, and he said to them, why have you come back? And he just left. What's going on? Why have you come back? So they said to him, a man came to meet us and said to us, go return to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there's no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone. You shall surely die. Verse 7, then he said to them, what kind of man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? Verse 8, so they answered him, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. <laughs> and so, um, remember John the Baptist, Jesus says he came in the spirit of Elijah, so John the Baptist was another one of these real intense guys. Whether he was hairy, whether John was hairy or not, we do not know. But um, King knows about Elijah, no doubt from his father, who had many altercations with Elijah himself. I have. You know, it's 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 crazy. You know the the, the that Israel that that. Every king of the north was wicked, and nothing ever good ever came from any of the 
worship of these gods, you know, what good is, is going to come of you if you are seeking out the god of the flies, you know? And it's amazing up in, up in the north, there's calamity after calamity, and they just don't know. I mean, his father had just died in battle. Dogs are licking up his blood. Clearly judgment from the Lord. No doubt that judgment, the word had got out, that Elijah had predicted the whole thing. I got a, a, an email from Pastor Serge. Some of you saw the email that went out to the church uh, last night. I sent it to the church last night that um, armed bandits have showed up at the site of the orphanage and they left a note there with some phone numbers. And so we're really seeking the Lord as to how to, to deal with that. But he sent me another email from a good source. In fact, I think um, the source is, is a doctor there, a, well, a well-known doctor who, um, who Eric knows. Eric Burks has met with this doctor who reported that the earthquake that just happened in, in Haiti, 2,000 people died. Um, one of the things that happened was during the earthquake, there was uh, a voodoo ceremony going on with a woman voodoo priestess with 38 people in there. And the, during the earthquake, the wall came, the roof came down and killed everyone that was in the room. And uh, I really do believe these, these stories. I mean, this, this guy is a good source, this, this doctor there. I remember that um, one of the places that we went to in, in Haiti several times to build a church um, is called the, one of the voodoo capitals of the world. It's, the name of it is Fon Verret. And in the year just prior to us being there, so we, we go into this, this town, Fon Verret, and the river, you, you could tell that there was some disaster there because the riverbed had been expanded greatly and it was just filled with boulders and rocks. And, and there, there had been a, a voodoo international conference there the previous year where there was uh, something like 159 voodoo priests there and word got out that there a storm was coming there could be flooding and they didn't heed it they just said well no we have power over this and a flood came in and just killed every single one of them and uh this stuff is real. People get into bondage of it. The, the Christianity, it, 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 certainly in the missions over the years, there, there, there's been mistakes and there's not perfect. A lot of the missions that have happened around the world, but it really has released and rescued people from the bondage of worshiping these kind of things, um, which really put people... Uh, and their lives into serious bondage. Like nothing is, nothing good ever happened by worshiping the god of the uh, of, uh, of of mosquitoes. Um, but there's just a, a a crazy kind of blindness that happens once people get deep into this stuff. I recently just hear a church with. Um, counseling someone who had themselves gotten deep into, right here in Boston, deep into um, 
this religious, the Santeria, there's the same thing. It's Dominic, the Dominican version of, of voodoo. Um, just and gotten to enormous amount of trouble doing this. But it, it, there's such a temptation. One of the temptations is it's, it's like fortune telling, just going and 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 they they all use fear. All these different voodoo priests and and, and religions here, and um, but nothing ever good becomes of them. And I um, I love what in verse three. I really love this verse. In fact, I I have this verse at the very top of my prayer journal. Verse three. I know this is going to sound strange to you. But I have the latter part of verse 3 at the top of my prayer journal, which says, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the king, god of Ekron? And the reason I put that in my prayer journal is because so many times, particularly with many issues, being a pastor, but all of you have, have many issues, I start plotting and scheming and figuring out, well, how do, I, how do I deal with this situation? Or maybe I can go to this person or I'll bring in this or I'll, I'll go and have this conversation. And, and, and what this verse does every day when I go out and I read it, it's like, is there because you don't have a God that you're like trying to figure this out on your own? <laughs> you're going to the God of your own mind? Like, why don't you come to me and ask me? And I'm, I, I am amazed every single day, <laughs> every single time I, uh, uh, maybe not every single time, but so often when I read this verse, I just get convicted. Oh yeah, I've done it again for the 7,000th time. I've tried to figure out by my own plotting, scheming, and, intel and intelligence how to resolve a situation without first just going to the Lord. Okay, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do here? And thank the Lord. I'm, I'm in terms of reacting to situations. I've I've gotten much better over time, particularly since I've really started giving myself over more to prayer. I've just taken stuff to the Lord. Okay, Lord, what do you want? And so I don't know. Uh, good to put. Good verse to put on top of your 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 uh, prayer journal. Is it because? There's no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron. He's, he's grieved when the Lord is grieved when you don't go directly to him. And, and, and you just consult the, the, the recesses of your own mind or the, rather than going directly to him. Uh, because he'll figure out, he, man, just yesterday, I was just amazed. I went directly to the Lord with a with something, and he immediately said, this is what you do. And, and he's so faithful to do that, and we learn his, to hear his voice uh, over time. And so then, high drama. The king finds out from his messengers that Elijah had said he's going to die. What's his reaction? Ridiculous. Verse 9. The king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50 men, so he went up to Elijah, and there he was, sitting on the top of a hill, and he spoke to him, saying, man of God, the king, the king has said, come down. These 50 men were not coming to, uh, to invite him to a pleasant meeting. The, remember, this is Jezebel's son. Just remember, what did Jezebel do? She hunted down prophets and killed them. 
And then in verse 10, I, 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 I actually, I shouldn't be laughing um, because these were, this, is, this, is, this is 50 people dying here. And they were made in the image of God. Elijah answered and said to the captain of the 50, if I'm a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 right there. This is why, by the way, Elijah shows up with Moses at the mountain of transfiguration in uh, the book of Mark uh, that we read in, in, in chapter earlier on in uh, Mark chapter 9. I mean, he is, he's one serious prophet. Then he sent another captain of 50 with his men. So he doesn't give up. He doesn't learn his lesson. Again, same thing. It's like, what do you not know about pursuing wickedness, dude? He sent to him, verse 11, another captain of the 50 with his 50 men, and he answered and said to him, man of God, thus has the king said, come down quickly. And Elijah answered and said to him, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Now you can read this and say, Oh, this is like clearly a fable. I mean, this reads like Aesop's fables here. Or you can say, this is a screaming loud visitation of mercy by the Lord on Israel and the, with a scream saying, would you repent? Would you guys repent? There is a God in Israel. Would you please repent? And we believe that this isn't a fable at all. This is just a, 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 just as a, a very glaring, spectacular demonstration of mercy. You know, we don't see this very often in the Bible, but this, this is truly extraordinary to say the least. Verse 13 Again, he sent a third captain of 50 and his 50 men. And the third captain of the 50 went up, came down, fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of 50 with their 50s, but let my life now be precious in your sight. Remember, um, last week, I believe, I talked just about the mercy of God. And even an evil person like Ahab we saw last week, if he's coming to God crying out for mercy, the Lord has mercy, here, here we go. Mercy is who he is. That's his name. Well, Exodus chapter 34. It says his name in Exodus 34. He's abounding in mercy. So if you go in repentance... And brokenness, God will have mercy on you. And that's exactly what happens here. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. And so in Luke chapter 9, before we go on here and, 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 um, and see what happens between Elijah and this king, Remember that Jesus is going towards Jerusalem. A couple of his disciples uh, try to go into the towns before him uh, to uh, prepare the town for him. 
place to stay or whatever on his way to Jerusalem, and one of the Samaritan towns doesn't let him come through, and uh, James and John come to Jesus and say, hey, this, this Samaritan, uh, Samaritan town uh, isn't going to accept you. Should we call on fire like Elijah and destroy it? And what did, what did Jesus say? He said, you don't know what kind of spirit you are. The Son of Man came to save lives, not destroy it. The New Testament is indeed a new covenant for the people of God. And Jesus said to Peter, who whacked off the ear of the high priest servant when they came to arrest Jesus, put away your sword. Those who um, live by the sword will die by the sword. And that doesn't mean there's never a just war. There are. I believe the Bible teaches there's such a thing as just war. But in our personal interactions, in our personal interactions, the method given to us by Jesus Christ is in Luke 6, 27, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who, who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. And in 2 Corinthians, we read the weapons of a warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God to bring down strongholds. And what are those weapons? Love, love, and love covered with prayer. You know, that's, Jesus said to James and John, no, that's not how you do ministry. That's not how you do ministry. And it says that in Luke 9, it says he just went around that Samaritan town and, and, he, passed, um, he, and he passed by. But anyway, let's see what happened with Elijah and the king. Verse, so he shows up with the king, verse 16, then he said to him, to him, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, is it because there is no God of Israel to inquire of his word, therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Meaning, if he had just gone to the Lord, I think the strong implication is if he had just gone to the Lord, the Lord would have healed him. But because he went to the God of the flies, that false God with a demon behind it, um, he dies. So after two years, Ahab lived a, a, a much longer life. His son, Ahaziah, lives a much shorter life. He's cut off for 17. So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. And because he had no son, Jehoram became king in his place. And so don't be lost on the fact that another son of Jezebel is becoming king in the north. There's no good that's going to become of that. Uh, and then we read this, he became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, same name the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. So this does happen from time to time. When you first read through 1 Kings and 2 Kings, oh, wow, is it hard, because sometimes there's the same name in the north as the south. And, uh, and anyway, this guy Jehoram. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? 
Okay, well, we are going to stop at that point. And Freddie, do you mind coming up and, and, and helping us just with a little background worship, instrumental worship? Two things I'd like you to pray about. I would like you to pray about this situation in Haiti. Recall that this, this man, Pastor Serge, was just preached at our church. An armed bandit just showed up at his gate. Leaving a note with phone numbers, please call these phone numbers. I mean, uh, Haiti is going, to, going into great instability at this point. And he asked for wisdom, and uh, let's pray for him. And let's also pray, why don't you, if you could start off praying, though, for yourself. Uh, this whole thing, this, this, this um, which I think is very, very good, a very good lesson for our hearts, let it sink in, verse 3 of 2 Kings 1, is it because there's no God in Israel that you are not good? you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron. If you just go directly to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me for going so often and so many times to my own ingenuity and my own, uh, my own intelligence, my own, and God has given those for a reason, but, but um, we're certainly supposed to go first to him and ask him, ask him that he would give you the grace of getting into the habit of just going first to him. Because many times the direction that we come up with when we're not using the Lord, just our own intelligence, it makes a lot of sense Remember, it made a lot of sense for Jehoshaphat to go up to northern Israel, align himself with the king, and try to regain the territory that was Israel's. That makes all the sense in the world. Problem was, if he had gone to the Lord, the Lord would have said, no, no, no. And the Lord gave him three red flags as well, and he still <laughs> proceeded. If you could just separate into small groups, three to five, six, and, and pray that for yourself. But then if you could also pray, we have about seven or eight minutes left just for the situation in Haiti as well. That would be great. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the word tonight. Please bless our time of prayer. Amen.